Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk with the head of the Ohio State Medical Association about job burnout and stress factors affecting the healthcare industry in Ohio and what's being done about it. And courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend covers a number of topics. Coming up, lawmakers are looking at grocery stores. Not the price tags necessarily, but the cost of a proposed merger. Rare bipartisan agreement in the nation's capital on protecting same-sex and interracial marriage. But some say the legislation still falls short. And state lawmakers are taking a look at lowering the cost of your prescriptions and raising the minimum wage. That's in about 25 minutes from now. First up on Columbus Perspective, I'm joined on the phone by Dr. Brian Santine, who is the president of the Ohio State Medical Association. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me on today, Dave. Appreciate it. Thanks for talking to us. Uh, I see that you became president this year. Can you uh, give us a little bit of uh, background on you? Sure. Uh, I am a a born and bred Ohio guy. Uh, I was born uh, and raised in Solon, on the east side of Cleveland. Uh, After high school, I went to the Ohio State University and got my undergraduate degree in economics. I stayed at OSU for medical school, uh, after which I went to Mount Carmel uh, in Columbus and did uh, five years of general surgery training. I am a board-certified general surgeon. Um, And then uh, after that, I went down to Cincinnati to the Tri-Health system and completed a two-year vascular surgery fellowship. I finished that up in 2013. And uh, then uh, after graduating, I um, had a personal desire to uh, provide vascular surgical care to uh, part of America that really needs it the most, and that's the rural aspects of rural areas of of the U.S. And so I uh, opened up my own solo private practice in Wilmington, which is a community about halfway between Columbus and Cincinnati. Um, And uh, over the past almost uh, just a little over nine years now, uh, built my practice to a little over uh, 7,000 patients, um, providing what I consider bread and butter uh, vascular surgical care uh, to uh, to patients in this part of Ohio. Uh, and so while I've uh, maintained my uh, my private practice, um, I also uh, in January of 2020 um, took over as the chief medical officer of our health system here in Wilmington at Clinton Memorial Hospital. And so I've served in that capacity for just about now three years. Wow. Uh, and again. Um, then uh, took uh, took on another uh, leadership role with the Ohio State Medical Association earlier this year, uh, becoming president. Well, you sound like a doctor who doesn't have a lot of time to golf. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's uh, that. You know, um, it is uh, time management um, uh, at its uh, uh, best, I would say. And, and I'll tell you, and a lot of folks ask, "Boy, how do you do all this?" I mean, these are kind of three full-time jobs, and you know, the reality is, I, I don't do this on my own. Uh, if I didn't have my um, uh, best friend and confidant, otherwise known as my wife, uh, Crystal, who constantly is kind of helping keep things in order, um, and uh, we pretty much work as a team on, on uh, all aspects of things. And uh, it's, you know, time management and, and maintaining a really good work-life balance, which is really critical, um, especially in the increased uh, uh, stressors that have been placed on our healthcare workforce, especially over the past uh, three years now of, of the uh, COVID pandemic. So, um, yeah, I'm able to, uh, you know, I, as I tell folks, I work more now than I ever thought that I would, but I wouldn't trade my life for the world. It is just, it's fantastic to have the opportunities to work alongside such fantastic folks in healthcare right now. Uh, it's really an honor. That's excellent. And you touched on uh, what we're going to be talking about, which is Stress uh, in the healthcare field. Uh, it's been a rough couple of years for the healthcare industry. Uh, 
it, it, it certainly has, and it, and it should be no surprise to anybody. You know, um, the COVID-19 pandemic has really kind of expedited what was already kind of in the works, you know, and what was already known um, about physician and healthcare worker burnout. Um, you know, burnout and, and the stresses of just today's pace of, of living. And this isn't unique to healthcare. I know um, lawyers are dealing with these same issues. Pretty much every sector um, has really been pushed to the brink at, at various times, whether it's pandemic related or not. Healthcare is really kind of um, brought to the forefront uh, the issue with, uh, with our healthcare uh, folks. In fact, if you look at statistics, uh, they show that nearly half of physicians, nurses, and medical students have or are experiencing substantial symptoms uh, of burnout. Um, and you know, the, the reality of you know, the well-being of our healthcare workforce, it matters to everybody. You know, when, when healthcare workers are taken care of physically and mentally, we are better able to do what we do best, which is care for our patients. So it's, um, it has certainly highlighted uh, the, the extra burden in that, that the pandemic has, has brought on the healthcare system, for sure. And such a complicated issue because, you know, we all heard about how hospitals were being overrun with COVID patients who are not typical patients. They're very ill patients, many that were going into intensive care. But on top of being busy, you've got these folks working in hospitals who are at risk of, of getting it. And that was before the vaccine at you know, a scary level of risk of what could happen to them. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, but, you know, um, I think uh, folks that work in the healthcare field have a, have a special calling. They have a, a duty to to their fellow man and woman and, and their communities. And, um, you know, folks, you do it because it's the right thing to do. Also realizing you, you put yourself in, in, in harm's way, potentially, you know, every day that you're going to work. Um, but again, you know, it's kind of almost a higher calling to, to try and provide aid and care to our, our neighbors, you know, really. It's uh, an interesting situation with uh, mental health because, you know, there is still a stigma about mental health and, and mental wellness. What is that like in the medical industry where, you know, it's the medical industry that takes care of that, and yet if you are in the medical industry and you suffer from it, are you stigmatized there? Um, I'd like to say no. You know, um, I think the reality, Dave, though, is exactly as you point out. I think there is still, unfortunately, this this sense of a, a fear of, of potential licensure ramifications or a stigma of, of, of from potential colleagues or, or, or patients or others, you know, oh, hold on, is something not right? You know, <clears throat> and the, the reality is mental health is, is, is just as important as just a real uh, clinical condition and diagnosis as, say, somebody that has a bad gallbladder. And... Um, you know, I think the more and more that we talk about it so that folks understand that this is this is real. The same with, you know, the sense of, of burnout and the stresses we were just talking about, you know, a few moments ago. You know, for many years, it seems like we're always kind of doing research into seeing, boy, is, is burnout and stress on the healthcare workforce, is this real or is it just something that, and, you know, the data has come in. And again, as I mentioned earlier, nearly half of everybody in the field right now is, is dealing with this. And, and now we know, okay, it's real. It's a real entity. Now what can we do about it? And, and that's, that's something that the Ohio State Medical Association is really leading the charge on providing help to our healthcare workforce. And so I think the more that we 
do acknowledge and say, hey, th- this isn't something that we're just, you know, not sure if it's really there, but m- mental health and mental health um, care and recognition is a real entity. I think uh, Governor DeWine just was mentioning in his uh, next term he wants to place increased emphasis to make Ohio the leading example for mental health care recognition and services in the country. Talking with Dr. Brian Santine, he's the president of the Ohio State Medical Association. In a moment, I want to talk about ways that you are addressing this issue, but I'm curious, you bounce around between Columbus and Wilmington. Is there a difference between more uh, rural, small-town areas and their staffs compared to the big cities as far as mental health and stressors? Great question, Dave. You know, um, I'm not off the top of, of my head aware of specific statistics on differentiations, but we do have in the rural parts of, of our state versus the more metropolitan areas different stressors, different um, issues. I'll tell you right now, we're dealing with an increased strain on our health systems due to these uh, influenza-like illnesses, these respiratory illnesses that are really um, rearing their ugly head right now. In fact, I was on a just earlier this week with the Southwest Ohio zone. The state's kind of broken up into zones as we kind of have dealt with not only a pandemic, but continue to interact and work with each other to identify and, and recognize trends and what's currently happening in the healthcare space. And right now, um, these influenza-like illnesses, whether it's COVID, it's RSV, or, you know, maybe the common flu, that's creating um, certain strains on the metropolitan areas that we're not quite seeing to the same degree right now in the rural areas, but we know that it's coming because it's a it's a trickle down, unfortunately, sometimes in, in regards to capacity issue in the rural parts of Ohio, um, which is no different than, than really, I think, most other states. But uh, you certainly have some similarities between the metropolitan and the rural areas as well. Certainly, it's it should be no shock to anybody that's staffing. Just like we, we hear about in all other industries, people are having a hard time finding workers, and, and healthcare uh, is certainly not immune uh, from that. And so, lack of of adequate staffing in our hospitals that's a that's a real problem right now. And that's not just in the metropolitan areas; that's in the rural parts of this uh, this state as well. Now, the Ohio State Medical Association has launched uh, something called well-being care. What is that? So, uh, as I alluded to earlier, um, you know, again, for for quite some time we had discussed was burnout and the stress of working in the healthcare industry, was it a real entity? And again, as I said, uh, we know that, in fact, it is. So... Now the next step is, once you've identified the problem, how are we going to help address it? And that's where the Ohio State Medical Association and our Ohio State Medical Association Foundation have really stepped to the forefront with um, the development of um, our program. It's called wellbeingcare.org. This is a completely free and anonymous service. Um, It is available to any licensed healthcare professional in the state of Ohio. If you simply go to wellbeingcare.org, you can take a brief assessment for your mental and emotional health. Typically, it takes just about 10 minutes or so to complete that. At the completion of kind of doing the self-assessment, you receive uh, some recommendations for potential mental health services in your community. You also will have the option, if you so choose, to be privately connected with a licensed mental health professional. You know, and things that, that, that I stress about this program that we're really proud of is, A, not only are we offering an opportunity to, to, for any healthcare worker, it's not just physicians, it's not just nurses, 
any health care worker in the state of Ohio to go on and to complete this self-assessment completely free and completely anonymous. We made sure, because exactly to your point earlier, that there is still this perception of a stigma uh, associated with mental health, and we want to ensure that there is no way for any data to be researched, to be pulled from this. I don't have any access to the, to the program to be able to even say, oh, from this zip code, I can see that three people, you know, participate in the self-assessment. We, we track nothing. There's no ability to do so. Um, and we really stress that. And as a result of offering this in this capacity, and as well as offering the ability with, to, to connect folks at their choosing, right? After you complete the self-assessment, what you do with that result, it's up to you. If, if you just want to take that and, and self-reflect and maybe seek out um, some help um, on, your, on your own terms or your own time, we provide you some resources to do so in your community. But if you feel like, ah, boy, you know what, I, I would like to, to, to talk to a licensed mental health professional, we're more than happy to do that and we'll help facilitate that within a 24-hour period. That's great because, it, as you mentioned, uh, the tool could be used for self-reflection. Uh, you know, there may be some who know that they're not in the right state of mind right now because of uh, the work situation, perhaps, and getting into a 10-minute questionnaire might allow them to delve into themselves a little bit, help figure things out, and then maybe make them feel more like they do want to get help. Yep. And, and there's nothing to say that in a week or in a month, you may want to come back and complete this, the, the assessment again. Right. And then compare to see, hey, how was I doing last month compared to, you know, I've, I've, I've made some changes, whatever that may be. Maybe we're exercising more. Maybe I'm trying to focus on eating more healthy. Uh, maybe I'm focusing on trying to work to get a better work-life balance. After completing the assessment, I went home and maybe I sat down and I talked to my wife and said, hey, this is what I was doing today. And I, and I did this assessment and this is what it showed. What do you, what do you think? Right and kind of work through this, um, you know, I, at your own pace, and that's and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I will tell you, since we have launched this program earlier this year, uh, we've had uh, almost nearly 6,000 uh, individuals in the state of Ohio complete the assessment. Um, of those uh, roughly 6,000 folks, uh, over 200 have uh, completed the assessment and gone on to um, interact with a counselor. Hmm. So. Um, we're, I'm proud of, of the fact that we are now offering this service to healthcare workers in, in the state because I think it's critically important that, that we do. You know, it's almost, you know, at, at some point when you identify a problem, you need to do something. And we think that, that what we've put forth here in wellbeingcare.org is, is really helping start to chip away at the block of finding solutions and providing solutions to our healthcare workforce. That's great. You know, when you think of those numbers, you know, you start thinking of the old uh, classic theaters in downtown Columbus. You're filling a couple of those up worth of people that are taking this thing online. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a very good point. It's a, it's a way to help kind of shed further light on the, the, the fact that this is, this is real life. This is um, real people dealing with real stress, real issues associated with the line of work that they have been called to do, we feel compelled um, in our quest as the Ohio State Medical Association to make um, Ohio healthier, to recognize that that's not just our patients, but those are the folks, too, that are caring for our patients. 
Talking with Dr. Brian Santine, he's the president of the Ohio State Medical Association. I'm curious, you know, when you talk about how overworked staff were during the pandemic, it just seems like we, the world has really dodged a bullet here. I mean, because of the vaccine that came out at record speed and was unbelievably effective. I would, I would agree. We've, we've dodged a big one. Um, in fact, we can look to see what is currently happening in China and the zero COVID policy um, that they've maintained. And, and you know, if, if you're kind of sitting back, and I'm sure there will be scholarly articles you know, and pundits that will continually um, kind of assess different countries and even uh, locales as to how they, you know, address the, the pandemic. I know as, as an organization, we already have a, a task force on pandemic preparedness um, that is meeting regularly so that we continually develop better methods and uh, uh, procedures and policies so that we, we can do this better next time, right? It's not a question of if going to be another something like COVID come down the road. It's just a matter of when. And um, in regards to the, the zero COVID policy that they had in China, initially, boy, it, it kind of made sense. I mean, if, if they were able to, given kind of their government structure and the, the ability that the government has to regulate their people in, in that country, it seemed to really be effective. In fact, if you look at their mortality numbers in, in China from COVID, I mean, over the first uh, two years, it was shockingly low. Mm -hmm. However, now with the Omicron variant and and right now in Ohio, BQ1 and BQ1.1 are the dominant strains and they they are maybe less serious, but they are certainly more transmissible. And right now we're seeing their consideration for a change in their policy because it, it disease is spreading so fast that their lockdowns and things like that it's just becoming ineffective they can't you can't beat the virus that quick um, and so in our country we're very fortunate to have um, basically cut a lot of the red tape in the um, process for developing vaccines it's not that the vaccines themselves are any less stringently reviewed by the FDA and government agencies but it was kind of hey, this is the highest priority of anything we're working on right now. If you're working on something else, you gotta work on this right now to be able to prove and get these get these through the pipeline so that we can get them out to the public. And uh, yeah, it has proven uh, exceptionally successful. I would guess that part of the stress too involved in all this is still, and I think it's a, a pretty small percent of people these days perhaps, who never believed that the pandemic was as big a deal as it was. And even now we're losing there's, what, about 10 people a day in Ohio are still dying of COVID and a couple thousand a week nationwide. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know for certain. For certain, um, obviously, the numbers, I don't think anybody uh, knows how many folks didn't believe that the pandemic was a real entity. It certainly, unfortunately, not continued to garner any uh, significant um, uh, airtime, if you will, right. uh, from the media perspective, I would say, which is helpful. Right. You know, um, those of us that work in healthcare, uh, we, we see this day in and day out. Um, I have personally had conversations with patients who, um, you know, had, had concerns and doubts about the efficacy and, and how mm-hmm. vaccines were developed so quickly and, you know, a variety of, of concerns over things. And, you know, I think it's really helpful when a patient has that ability to have frank and honest conversation with their healthcare professional who is in the weeds. You know, I mean, we, I've, I've, I've seen patients pass away from COVID-19 more than I would like to admit. And, um, and we've 
seen the devastating impact that it then has on the family. And, and it's, um, I've also taken care of patients who have gotten COVID. They spent three, four months in the hospital, um, and maybe now they're wheelchair bound as a result of the, the illness, but thank God they're still alive, but they'll be very quick to say, boy, I wish I'd just gotten the vaccine. Right. You know, I mean, it's, it's the whole gamut, you know, um, but I think the more that our healthcare workforce is um, able to have those honest conversations with their patients, I think that's probably the most helpful in uh, to dispel any concerns, rumors, misinformation. You know, really is is to talking. You know, talking to the person that you're coming to see for healthcare advice. Dr. Brian Santine, he's with uh, he's the president of the Ohio State Medical Association. I wanted to ask you. I'm curious. You said that you made the intentional move to go to Wilmington to help out folks in that area. The Columbus Dispatch had a story a couple of weeks ago about the need for doctors in rural areas and a problem that's just going to get worse as time goes on. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, We've known for uh, several years, uh, this goes back to some uh, initial research that I'm aware of from the American College of Surgeons, uh, dating back even to the mid mid to late 90s that was predicting a, uh, not just a surgeon, but an overall physician shortage in this country, given the uh, birth rates and um, most notably the, the hindering kind of aspect if I recall correctly from a lot of those studies, was that we weren't training any more physicians. The number of residency allocated spots in the country were kind of capped, and I think this was around like 96 or 98 possibly. And um, so we weren't training any more physicians, but our population was growing. Um, And uh, just the the way that the world works and and that migration patterns have have come about, over the past 50, 60 years, more and more folks have, have been um, uh, relocated towards metropolitan areas and less maybe to rural, and then different industries and sectors kind of follow the same patterns, and healthcare is no different. Uh, so again, as I was saying, in 2013, when I finished up my training, I was one of 72 vascular surgery um, uh, fellows that graduated that year, and I was the only one who uh, decided to start my own solo private practice. Um, and again, I specifically chose to do that in, in Wilmington. Um, you know, there's only about less than 2,500, I believe, board-certified vascular surgeons in this country. And uh, looking at the estimates, there's roughly 12 to 15 million people with vascular disease. So wow. just based on those two numbers alone, you can see that we're well understaffed from a vascular surgeon perspective. And it's uh, even further highlighted in rural America. Um, you know, as an example, I'm here in Wilmington, and I'm the only vascular surgeon within 45, almost 50 miles. Wow. Um, and uh, so it's, um, yeah, how, how do we change that? Well, we need to we need to train more. But, uh, again, that's not as simple as, you know, flicking a switch and, you know, uh, being able to do so. But uh, also inspiring folks to see that the, the benefits of, of working in a, a, in a rural community I mean, I, again, as I said earlier in this conversation, I wouldn't trade my life for the world. Um, I, uh, I, th- I feel like I kind of have the best of both worlds. I live, you know, on the south side of, of Columbus there in, in German Village, that little historic community. So I kind of get the, the perks and benefits of, of living in, a, you know, one of the largest 14th, I think, largest metropolitan area in the country. But yet I work um, in a kind of in the cornfields with salt-of-the-earth people. Right. And I just, uh, I, I've really found that this is, I really thrive in, in this type of um, kind of uh, environment. 
I would guess that another piece of that problem is, you know, once you get out of medical school and you're ready to start, when you're looking at a six-figure debt, you're going to want to work in a big city where the money is. Well, um, that's a, a certain concern. However, I would uh, correct you and say that actually still in the rural parts of, of our country, the amount that you get paid for what you do is not determined by the big city versus the little city. It's all, the, it's, it's all determined for the most part by, by Medicare. Medicare sets the rates that are um, in place for all physicians, all healthcare providers, really, that bill services for Medicare patients, and all the private payers, the anthems, the medical mutuals, um, United Healthcare, all those. They kind of basically fall in line with where Medicare is. They may be a couple of bucks more, a couple of bucks less, but for the for the most part, um, keeping keeping it simple, it's, it's the government that really sets what those rates are, and they recognize that. Sure, if you if you live in provide care in New York City. Your cost of living and whatnot is going to be more, so you get paid more, but you also have a higher cost of living. Versus if you're working in Columbus, Ohio, that Medicare rate is going to reimburse less, but then again, your your cost of living is, is different. So there isn't really that much difference. They are able to financially compete with the major metropolitan areas to a certain degree. And I will tell you, I, I recruit folks as the chief medical officer here in Wilmington quite regularly. I just uh, I met with a, a fine uh, young gentleman that just finished up uh, some emergency medicine uh, residency training and is looking to, to come here to our community. And I can offer here very similar compensation package as, as somebody in, you know, in Cincinnati, in Dayton, or in Columbus. Huh. That's, that's great. Yeah, interesting. Uh, talking with Dr. Brian Santine. He's the president of the Ohio State Medical Association. Before we uh, let you go, doctor, again, give the information where healthcare workers can find this information online about well being. Sure. Uh, and again, Dave, thanks for the opportunity today. I really appreciate uh, coming on your show and, and be more than happy to, to come back at any point in the future as well. Um, but again, a, this, uh, our program that, that we've developed and launched earlier this year, it's completely free completely anonymous, and it's for any licensed uh, medical professional uh, or student um, who is enrolled in healthcare training programs uh, across the state. Um, it is uh, an anonymous screening for mental and emotional health issues, and again, if needed, we are able to connect uh, individuals with licensed uh, mental health professionals and resources, and the, uh, the website, it's uh, wellbeingcare.com. Org. Again, that's well-being, B-E-I-N-G, care, C-A-R-E, dot org. Ohio State Medical Association President, Dr. Brian Santine. Good information. Thanks so much for it, and, uh, and thanks for your time today. Thank you again, Dave. Appreciate it. Hello, I'm Todd Markowitz, Vice President and General Manager of Radio Ohio, which owns 97.1 The Fan. We're an equal opportunity employer dedicated to providing broad outreach efforts regarding job vacancies within our company. We seek the help of local organizations in referring qualified applicants. Organizations that wish to receive our vacancy information should send their request to the attention of Human Resources, Radio Ohio, 770 Twin Rivers Drive, Columbus, 43215. If you'd like to view our current job openings, please visit our website at 971thefan.com and Thanks for listening. What I know about courage, I learned from my adoptive mom. She said sometimes you just got to hold on and know we'll get through this. Mom, we are so high up. Hold my hand. (laughs) No, you hold my hand. Here we go. (laughs) Learn about adopting a teen from foster care. You can't imagine the reward. Visit AdoptUSKids.org to find out more. 
This is Doug Ute, Executive Director of the Ohio High School Athletic Association. High school coaches can be the biggest influence on kids having a positive experience in sports. Sports set the foundation for life lessons that remain long after playing days are over. This is Gene Smith. Please join Life Sports at The Ohio State University and the Ohio High School Athletic Association as we partner with the Susan Crown Exchange on its Million Coaches Challenge. Get involved and learn more at go.osu.edu backslash coach beyond. When kids need medical care, they will often face stressful and life-changing experiences. They miss out on the things that make being a kid fun. Starlight Children's Foundation has delivered happiness to 17 million seriously ill kids and their families at more than 800 children's hospitals and healthcare facilities. Our programs entertain and inspire hospitalized kids. Learn more at starlight.org. That's starlight.org. We put our lives on the line for our country. We braved the unknown. We did what we were told. And we lit up. Our cigarette packs were as valuable as the packs on our back. Maybe more. At one point, cigarettes were part of our daily ration. Smoke them if you got them. And boy, we were smoking them. Bumming a smoke was the norm. It was an escape from the reality of dirt, sweat, and forgetting how many days you were so far from home. Never had to worry so long as you had a light and the smoking lamp was lit. If that was you then, get your lungs screened now. Surviving lung cancer starts with a scan. Learn more at ScreenYourLungs.org. And thank you for your service. This PSA was made possible by industry funding and guidance from lung cancer patient groups. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, here's Tracy Townsend. From her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. Thanks so much for joining us for Face of the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. We start today with one of the biggest murder cases in our state. We're talking about the Pike County Massacre. George Wagner IV is behind bars this morning after a jury found him guilty on 22 charges, including eight counts of aggravated murder, conspiracy, four counts of aggravated burglary, and three counts of tampering with evidence. Those charges are connected to the deaths of eight Roden family members who were murdered execution style in Pike County in 2016. Governor Mike DeWine was the Ohio Attorney General at that time when those murders took place. After the verdict came down, he thanked the jurors and investigators and said that while the verdict doesn't bring closure, it should give the victims' families some sense of comfort. But today the Roden and the Gilly families can take some comfort in knowing that George Wagner has been convicted and that he will be punished, as will his brother Jake and his mother Angela. I want to thank the jury. It made a great sacrifice 
This has certainly been one of the longest, if not the longest, trials in Ohio history. They hung in there. They did their job. They did their civic duty. And we're grateful for their work. The governor has previously met with members of the Roden family. His office received more than 1,000 tips and conducted some 500 interviews. His team also traveled to 10 states, serving hundreds of subpoenas and search warrants. Now, the judge says that he hopes to sentence George Wagner IV between December 14th and December 23rd. We will certainly let you know when that date is set. The bill, as amended, has passed. Lawmakers reached across the aisle to change the game for millions of couples. The Senate voted to federally protect same-sex marriage. And while some say it's a step in the right direction, an American civil rights activist with ties to our state says it's not enough. 10TV's Bryant Somerville explains. I'm happy that at least something has been done, something that we will have to fall back on should the Supreme Court overturn Obergefell in the future. Jim Obergefell, one of the most visible figures in marriage equality from Cincinnati, who had a major role in 2015's Supreme Court decision allowing same-sex marriage nationally, says despite passing in the Senate, he still has concerns regarding the Respect for Marriage Act. I find it curious that it's called the Respect for Marriage Act because this act does not respect the LGBTQ plus community, our marriages, our relationships, or our families. If passed, the measure would not force any state to allow same-sex couples to marry. It would, however, require states to recognize and protect same-sex marriages if Obergefell versus Hodges were to be overturned by the Supreme Court. It's a concern that has been growing since the court's June decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. But this is not respect for marriage. This is this would take us back to a time where we are once again second class citizens who are given something that isn't marriage, isn't respected and protected and offered equally to every person in this country. He says because there are religious exceptions, something Republican supporters wanted to protect religious organizations from having to perform same-sex marriages, the act does not tolerate religious beliefs in general. This is about one specific group of people who believe their interpretation of their religion is more important than any other and more important than human beings in the public sphere. That is not tolerance. Bryant Somerville, 10 TV News. Both of Ohio's senators voted in favor of the Respect for Marriage Act, Senator Rob Portman being one of the 12 Republicans who voted yes. He had this to say after the vote. The final vote was 61 to 36. That's a pretty powerful vote, when you think about it. So we now fire it like a torpedo back at the House, <laughs> uh, along with religious liberty protections that, frankly, nobody on my side of the aisle would have imagined that we could have accomplished. So for those Republicans, I think 46 of them who voted yes last time, now they have additional protections uh, that many of them wanted the first time around with regard to religious liberty. The legislation now goes to the House for approval before potentially finding its way to President Biden's desk. Also happening in the U.S. Senate, Kroger had to defend its proposed merger with Albertsons. Lawmakers are concerned about monopolies if the nation's two largest grocery store chains combine. In October... Kroger, the largest supermarket chain, agreed to acquire number two Albertsons in a deal it says would help it compete better against rivals. 
This merger will give us the flexibility, national footprint, and digital capabilities to compete more effectively. Our commitment is to provide fresh, affordable food for everyone. Our philosophy is locally great, nationally strong. The best way to compete with megastores like Walmart and highly capitalized online companies like Amazon will be through a merger with Kroger. But the union representing more than a million grocery store workers argues the merger is a bad deal for employees and consumers. Kroger owns 2,700 stores in 25 states operating under the Kroger brand. Albertsons operates 2,200 stores in 34 states among its 20 brands. Combining the two would create the nation's second largest food retail business behind Walmart, which currently owns about 22 percent of food retail sales. The merger is subject to federal approval. If allowed, it would take effect in 2024. Both CEOs who testified promised the company would spend billions to improve and upgrade stores, lower prices, and boost wages. Right now, the search is on for a new president of The Ohio State University. President Christina Johnson announced that this year would be her last. The university won't say why she's leaving, and Johnson released a statement only saying it was, quote, a difficult decision. During her term, the university's ranking rose from 53rd to 49th among universities. Johnson is also credited with helping convince Intel to make Ohio home. When asked who he thinks should be the next Ohio State president, Governor Mike DeWine declined to name names, but said it has to be someone who understands the university and Ohio. Here's what he had to say about Johnson's decision to resign. We've worked on a number of things that benefit not just Ohio State, but benefit the entire state. Uh, an example would be uh, the education and job training component in regard to Intel coming in. Ohio State's a major player in that. Uh, Dr. Johnson played a major, major role in that. We are con- closely following what's next for the Ohio State University. We'll certainly keep you updated right here on 10TV and on 10TV.com. A controversial bill at the Ohio State House is on hold while lawmakers are pumping the brakes on a bill to ban gender-affirming surgeries. Plus... This day, as Representative Seitz rightly said, uh, means that the other victims in Ohio will be treated equitably the same way that survivors of Boy Scouts abuse in other states in the country will be treated. It was a major step in the race to the finish line for Boy Scout abuse survivors in our state. We'll break down a critical piece of legislation that's moving forward. Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors. Let's verify how is breast cancer passed down. We turn to two doctors, the CDC and the American Cancer Society. Like other medical conditions, Dr. Claudine Isaac says breast cancer can run in the family. So it's really important for women to know if they have a strong family history or they have something going on. The CDC says chances of breast cancer are higher in someone whose mother, sister or daughter or multiple family members on either parent's side of the family has had breast or ovarian cancer. The American Cancer Society describes a variety of reasons why breast cancer may be more common in some families, including genetics. About a third of women uh, who develop breast cancer have a family history, but only about 10% have a hereditary predisposition. You may have heard of BRCA gene mutations, indicating higher likelihood of breast and other cancers. Dr. Kalavis Vanathan says medical professionals can now look at a whole panel of genetic information connected to breast cancer risk. We then divide those genes into those that are at higher risk versus moderate versus. Genetic testing is usually done with a blood 
draw or cheek swab. Some at-home DNA tests you can buy yourself are FDA-approved for detecting genetic variants like in the BRCA genes. But Dr. Visvanathan says they are not comprehensive or a substitute for a conversation with your doctor. If you're just intrigued or interested, go ahead. But I wouldn't use it as a health to sort of direct your health care. Screening and preventative action is often encouraged earlier or more frequently for people with family history. And those with additional genetic risk factors might also have more intensive medical prevention options available. How do we work with you to put these strategies into place? With your Verified, I'm Abby Larico. How do you know if you or a loved one is at risk of problem gambling? By knowing the signs, such as borrowing money, hiding unpaid debts, bragging about wins, or just plain irritability. Sound familiar? Get Set Before You Bet is Ohio's initiative to help keep gambling safe and responsible for everyone. How does it work? Just visit BeforeYouBet.org to learn more and take the responsible gambling quiz. Together, we can keep gambling safe and responsible in Ohio. This message brought to you by Ohio for Responsible Gambling. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. At the State House, lawmakers took up several bills during the lame duck session. We're going to highlight just a few over the next few minutes. We'll start with Senate Bill 357. State Senator Matt Dolan introduced it. The goal is to keep guns out of the hands of those who could be dangerous to themselves or to others. But in Ohio, passing any new gun restrictions could be an uphill battle. 10TV's Brittany Bailey reports. I always have a lot of hope. I'm an eternal optimist. I survived 12 bullets. Those 12 bullets could not kill Whitney Austin or her hope. But that's not to say things did not look grim on that September day in Cincinnati back in 2018. I thought I was walking into work at Fifth Third Bank to do my job, and instead I walked into a mass shooting. Austin would survive. Three others would not. Her life was changed forever. I survived 12 bullets, and that was the message I needed to start Whitney Strong and to do what I could to prevent gun violence. You may remember that mission brought her to Columbus roughly one year after her shooting and just months after the Dayton mass shooting. It takes my breath away nearly every time I think about this. She spoke at the big rollout of the Strong Ohio bill that was introduced with much fanfare but led nowhere. It was really hard. And I've had a lot of really difficult moments in this fight as we work to bring people, you know, in, to bring them into the work. But nothing will ever be as difficult as what happened on September 6th. So I just pick myself up and go again. My name is Whitney Austin. That's why she was back in Ohio to once again push for stronger laws against gun violence. This hearing was for Senate Bill 357, which would call for behavioral health assessments for those who could be a risk to themselves or others. It would bar those deemed a risk from buying future weapons, but not remove the ones they already have. State Senator Matt Dolan is the sponsor. That if we can isolate that behavior, then my bill is simply saying, let's make sure that person doesn't get a gun. I mean, it's pretty simple. We don't want suicidal or homicidal people to have access to firearms. Well, this was just the second hearing for the bill, but Governor DeWine is on board. If we're going to stop these horrible tragedies in, in Columbus and across the state where you see a 9-year-old or 10-year-old who gets shot by, by someone who has no business having a gun, they've already been 
been told that they cannot have a gun because they've been convicted of a violent offense. We need to throw the book at them, and that's what the, our bill will do. And for Austin, whose hope springs eternal, this is just another step in a battle she's determined to win. So yeah, there are hard days, and I have to pick myself up again, but I have proof, I have evidence that we can do more. So keep pushing. And again, that was Brittany Bailey reporting. This week's hearing was just for supporters. There will be a future hearing for opponents of that legislation. This week, the Ohio House passed a bill that would make swatting calls a felony. The prank takes valuable police resources away from where they're really needed. Under House Bill 462, those convicted could face prison time, fines, and restitution. The money would be used to reimburse law enforcement for abusing emergency services. The bill still has to be discussed in the Senate. Also, at the State House, lawmakers made a few changes to a bill that would change voting laws in our state. One amendment put back a provision that had been removed, allowing the Secretary of State to send unsolicited absentee ballot applications to voters. Here's a closer look at House Bill 294. It would end early voting early and shorten the amount of time absentee ballots are available. It also proposes increased security at drop boxes and a ban on August special elections. And finally, it would require IDs to indicate when a person is not a U.S. citizen. And a new push for a $15 minimum wage was just introduced in the Ohio House. House Bill 69 would phase in increases to reach $15 an hour by the year 2027. A constitutional amendment does require the minimum wage to match inflation, but sponsors say it's not enough. This opportunity uh, to pass a bill to move us to $15 minimum wage uh, is a step forward in, in making sure that every family has at least a starting point to have uh, one job that can help them pay all of the necessities for them and their families. Without House Bill 69, the minimum wage will rise to $10.10 per hour next year. And now we go to a major step in that race to the finish line for Boy Scout abuse survivors here in our state. The Ohio House voted on the Scouts Honor Bill. It affects how much money abuse survivors here in our, our state can get from that major bankruptcy settlement. This is a bill that is on a strict timeline, and getting it passed was crucial. The Scouts Honor Bill started as House Bill 709, but was then rolled into Senate Bill 199. Representative Jessica Miranda, who's a Democrat, sponsored the original bill along with Republican Representative Bill Seitz. This bill would remove the statute of limitations for any civil action claim against a bankruptcy estate for childhood sexual abuse. But that is as far as it would go. The bill has a very narrow focus. For Representative Seitz, that was by design. Specifically, it's good for those people that claim to have been victims of sexual abuse by Boy Scout, Troop Masters, Cub Masters, etc. And it enables them to recover uh, uh, to the fullest possible extent from the multi-billion dollar settlement that the Boy Scouts have voluntarily entered into. For survivors, it doesn't go far enough. I think where I see Representative Seitz falling uh, short in his view on this is acknowledging that victims of child sex abuse take sometimes decades before they come forward. And a state like Ohio that limits significantly the statute of limitations uh, really is doing an injustice to, to tens of thousands of individuals in Ohio who were victims of sexual abuse. That bill would now go to the Senate for a vote. If it passes there, it then moves on to the governor. 
governor's desk. The Ohio Senate took up a bill aimed at making prescriptions a little more affordable for people who need them most. House Bill 134 would ban health insurance cost sharing. That means patients can use coupons and charities to help meet the cost of their deductible without insurance companies raising the ceiling, something that many people who suffer from chronic pain fully support. Insurance companies argue that the bill would actually make drugs less affordable by raising insurance costs, but lawmakers push back on that idea. I mean, isn't the best way to control costs for you to control your own cost pressures? So in a perfect world, yes, we would see that the rebates and the discounts get passed to patients and that lower list prices would help patients, um, but right now that isn't happening. The bipartisan bill has already passed in the House. Right now, House Bill 454 is on hold at the State House. The bill would require minor who want to transition from their assigned gender to wait two weeks in order for a doctor to diagnose puberty blockers. Republican leadership said some of the medical information was unclear or conflicting. Representative Gary Click, who's sponsoring the bill, told us passing it during the lame duck session would be rushing it. $57 million is going toward safety in Ohio schools. We'll explain who's getting extra cash flow and what that money can do. Need to visit the Ohio BMV? Go online first. It could save you a trip. It's now easier and more convenient than ever to get what you need from the BMV online. Need to renew your driver's license? Renew online. And if you need to renew your vehicle registration, visit one of our new BMV Express kiosks or go online. If you do need to visit a BMV agency, use the Get In Line online tool, also found on the website, to save your spot and minimize your time waiting. For more services available online, check out bmv.ohio.gov. Hi, I'm Dom Tiberi. Nine years ago, we lost our daughter Maria to a distracted driving accident. To honor her life, we have pledged to educate young people on the dangers of distracted driving. We funded simulators and visited schools to inspire more than 120,000 young drivers to stay safe. Help spread Maria's message in your school. Contact us at Maria's message at 10tv.com. And remember, distracted driving is dangerous driving. It might be hard to imagine, but there's a place where you can find a restaurant on every corner. A place where you can eat like a king for as little as a dollar. It might be hard to imagine, but this is the same place where the school lunches aren't just delicious, they're themed, with palate pleasers like mozzarella stick Mondays, taco Tuesdays, and French Fridays. Heck, even pizza counts as a vegetable here. This is a place where the fast food just keeps getting faster. You can even order delivery right from your video game console. And how's the food, you ask? Well, it is to die for. Don't believe us? Just ask the friends and family of the 300,000 who did last year. Welcome to the state of America. Welcome to Obesity USA. Population 115 million and getting bigger by the day. To learn more, go to visitobesity.org. That's visit visitobesity.org. Brought to you by the Pennington Biomedical Research Foundation. My muscles ached. I was tired all the time. My son had a full-blown asthma attack. It came out of nowhere. The unsettling thing about some symptoms is... I had a fever and these terrible headaches. You don't always know what's causing them. It was Lyme disease from a tick bite. I had Zika virus from a mosquito. He had a reaction to cockroach allergens. Threats to your health can come from unexpected places. Get the facts. Visit PestWorld.org. 
a public service message from the National Pest Management Association. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV. Ohio schools are getting a major financial boost, $57 million aimed at improving safety for students. Many central Ohio schools will get a cut of that cash. 10TV's Lindsay Mills found out how that money is being used in the state's largest school district and what the future holds for districts that didn't make the cut. Automatic locks, badge systems, and surveillance cameras. Grants totaling more than $57 million will stamp up security at schools statewide. In a third round announced, a dozen Gahanna Jefferson schools will split more than a million dollars. Twenty Hilliard schools will split $269,000. More than 700 schools statewide are getting money this time around to improve building security. Columbus City Schools received funding in the second round announced last summer. And according to the district, the nearly $943,000 will be used to complete surveillance camera system upgrades at 19 CCS schools. It's part of Governor Mike DeWine's school safety grant program. Every school is going to get the money that they need to be brought up to speed, at least as far as the physical plant itself is concerned. The legislature set aside $100 million for the program, and DeWine says he'll push for more funding in the pipeline. What I said at the time is that if that money was not enough, we'll go back to the legislature. And so we're now talking to the legislature uh, about additional money. Meantime, Groveport Madison Schools announced a major plan to step up security within the district. According to district administrators, it's not known yet if the plan will be funded by that grant money received from the state. The district is looking at adding metal detectors and more security and mental health support staff. It will be up to the school board to decide. A two-day meeting of experts focused on increasing strategies to reduce infant mortality in our state. The Ohio Collaborative to Prevent Infant Mortality hosted the 2022 Ohio Infant Mortality Summit, Mobilizing Communities, Keeping Ohio Babies Safe Summit at Columbus State Community College. It's the first gathering since before the pandemic. Leaders from statewide organizations work together to find ways to solve preventable baby deaths. Celebrate One Executive Director Maureen Stapleton told me this is not an Ohio problem, but a national one. We've seen the PSAs, we've seen the commercials about putting baby to sleep on his or her back. Mm -hmm. What's happening? The ABCs of safe sleep, everybody knows. Alone, on your back, and in a crib. What I think we're finding is the stressors of this of life, the pandemic. Uh, we're seeing some interesting uh, correlations between drug use and um, um, infant mortality. We're trying to figure those out. Um, but ultimately, I think it's moms and dads and family not having the skills to put a baby down and get a baby calm enough to go to sleep. And so you make the mistake of then, because the baby won't stop crying, putting the baby on the couch, which is absolutely inappropriate because it's a soft surface or you put the baby in the bed with you because you can't get the baby to sleep any other way. Stapleton says they are seeing disparities in racial groups. Those are the categories that you'll find listed by the federal government um, and that's what they're using. Celebrate One has an up-to-date dashboard you can check out and you can find that at their website. Ohio is making strides to help people who suffer from addiction and mental health disorders. The governor announced this week that he's asking for support in these three areas, growing the behavioral health workforce, improving mental health research, and giving Ohioans better access to mental health care. If we do not act, 
uh, the bottom line is this. Ohioans with untreated addiction and mental illness will remain underemployed and unemployed. And so much potential, so much potential for people, for families, for our great state will be lost. Okay, here are some of the solutions the governor proposed. First, he wants to invest $85 million to turn unpaid internships in behavioral health into paid opportunities. He's asking the General Assembly to support several studies and build a new research center. Finally, he wants to expand mental health services statewide. DeWine made that announcement at the Ohio Chamber of Commerce's first healthcare summit. Organizers say it's going to be an event that would bring together lawmakers, business leaders, and healthcare experts so that they could talk about access and affordability of care. Chamber President Steve Stivers told me that he believes the coming issue is going to be health care, medical inflation, and how we manage it. And I just want to ask you in the context of your life um, on Capitol Hill, how has that prepared you for to take the chamber in this direction? Well, you know, the, the things I learned on Capitol Hill, number one, is to uh, focus on the issues that matter right now and, uh, you know, but also to lead into the future. And that's what we're trying to do at the chamber. We're paying attention to the things people are telling us today. The number one thing we hear from our members is about workforce. We hear about inflation and supply chain. But the coming issue, in my opinion, is going to be uh, health care, medical inflation and how we manage those things as I see all these new contracts being negotiated between the health insurance companies and the uh, and the hospitals, the providers, you're seeing big increases. And I think people are going to see double digit increases in their health care premiums next year. And it's going to make health care uh, an increasing topic of conversation. That's why we're trying to lead into that uh, with a conversation at the end of this year as we get into next year. Organizers say the conversation is critical and could focus on a health care redesign and some strategies to lower health care costs. We'll continue to follow that for you. Twenty new members were inducted into the Ohio Veterans Hall of Fame. The inductees span 15 Ohio counties and four major branches of the U.S. Armed Forces. We talked with one veteran about what it means to serve our country. And I think it's important that the country understand that that our military is made up of, of normal people and not made up of, of professional. I was a professional soldier. 29 years in the military makes you a professional soldier, and yet I think that I perform well in the in the community also. The veterans inducted were chosen from 87 nominations. They join 934 Ohio veterans who have been inducted. We thank you so much for joining us today for Face the State, and we wish you a great week. That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV. From their Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. Here's Tracy with information about what you can see this morning on 10 TV at 1130. Coming up on Face the State, legislative action in full swing at the State House as the year winds down. We will look at the bills your representatives are putting up. From the U.S. Senate floor to the streets of Columbus, a federal and a local lawmaker say farewell. We'll look at what's next for them. And getting into the great outdoors, it's not necessarily political, but there's now a major push by well-known leaders to put nature first. We'll see you at 1130 for Face the State.
This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation to the fan. Heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.